Welcome to Petrifaction. I'm your host, Petey. And if you like stories about ghosts, monsters, vampires, the weird and mysterious, UFOs, Bigfoot, and other cryptids, you're in the right place. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remember, friends, be prepared to be petrified. Hello friends, this is Petey, and you have found Petrifaction. I want to welcome you to Haunted October. Oh, I'm so excited. I've been waiting a long time for this. So get comfy, settle back in your seat, make sure your doors are locked, maybe turn some lights on. Get ready for some terrific hauntings. So this next story is about the ghost hunters. No, not the TV show. The ghost hunters I'm referring to are Ed and Lorraine Warren. These are true stories from the world's most famous demonologists. And it comes from their book that was written in 1989. So the Warrens are the ghost hunters. As a child, Lorraine saw auras. And she grew up to be what's called or considered to be a clairvoyant. 
Ed experienced encounters with entities when he was a child living in a haunted house. He was a self-proclaimed demonologist who worked for the Catholic Church. And together, they've claimed to investigate more than 10,000 accounts of hauntings and demonic infestations. They claim these are true accounts, and the couple have been investigating cases since the 1960s. So everybody's heard of West Point, right? Well, did you know part of West Point was considered to be haunted? Yeah, I didn't know this until I read the book myself. Pretty cool. So was there really a demonic infestation at West Point? In the Superintendent Dunbar House, the residence where the superintendent over West Point lives, numerous things happened, and Ed and Lorraine were asked to come in to investigate the experiences. At West Point, witnesses watched a bed stripped down by invisible hands. The bed was remade, and to their amazement, the bed once again was stripped down with invisible hands. It's said that this happened multiple times and that there were multiple witnesses who could verify it. Also, a breadboard contained a wet spot that no amount of drying ever made it go away. It just stayed wet. And Lorraine referred to this as being an apport. The Warrens did a walkthrough of the residence and Lorraine sensed a presence in it. She said it was John Kennedy, and later asked if he had ever stayed there, and in fact, he had. In the master bedroom, a female presence was felt by Lorraine. She felt the presence was strong-willed and domineering. Then she felt that it was a woman, and she said it was General MacArthur's wife, and she thought that this spirit was really just a prankster spirit. Also at West Point, was said to be an angry presence felt by Lorraine, and she said that it was of a black man from the earlier century, from the 1800s. Um, but it was believed that no black men were allowed there at that time. So originally they thought that, that she was incorrect with this. However, it was investigated by the West Point people who asked her to come in, and they did find out there was a black man there who had been charged with killing a man. Although he'd been cleared, the man was enraged and his anger is why he continues to be there. There were times when Lorraine helped police in their investigations. The next story is one of those cases. One spring, the Warrens were conducting a lecture at a college where they presented a slideshow of their cases. After the show ended, they fielded questions from the students, which was typical, and once the students began to leave, they were approached by a man, 
obviously not one of the students who attended the college. He identified himself as Detective Mel Peterson, and he asked Lorraine if it were possible for her to assist him with the case. She said she would try. A 27-year-old housewife was found dead. Donna Zorn experienced a savage murder. She was abducted from the store from where she worked, and her body was left at the murder scene along a river. Detective Peterson took Lorraine to the scene, and Lorraine tried to channel Donna for 45 minutes, but nothing was coming to her. She went home sorry that she couldn't help. However, once home, Lorraine started to write pages of information on Donna's last day alive. This is known as automatic writing. According to Lorraine, three men had come into the store while Donna was working. They arrived in a beat-up pickup truck, came in drunk and disheveled. One man had a tattoo of a knife on his right hand. They were trying to scare Donna, and scare her they did. Luckily, other customers were coming in and out, and the three left, much to Donna's relief. Unfortunately, they came back later. When they returned, it was around 11.30, shortly before Donna would be ending her shift and another employee would come in to take over for her. They were very drunk now, no inhibitions. They abducted her from the store. She was beaten and repeatedly gang-raped before one of them eventually strangled her to death. Her body was then dumped by the river. Thanks to the clues that Lorraine provided the detective, the three men were apprehended, charged, and ultimately convicted of her rape and murder. The Exorcist was a book and movie based upon a case of demonic possession and Ed was asked, is it real? According to the Warrens, yes, indeed it is. He went on to say that invitation to a demon can come in a variety of ways. And this case is about Stacy, a 16-year-old girl who finds a Ouija board in a store and makes a purchase. Stacy took the board home thinking it was just a game. She sits in her bedroom on her bed and plays with it alone and nothing much is happening. So she asks a friend over and convinces her friend, who is very reluctant, to play along with her. As they're asking questions, the girls hear a scratching sound in the walls, and the friend freaks out. The friend tells her to get rid of that board, and she quickly leaves. But Stacy is not going to get rid of it. She keeps the Ouija board, and she continues to use it by herself. There are continual noises in the walls, and within four months, Stacy is no longer Stacy. She's lost a lot of weight, 
and she really doesn't act like she used to act. She's changed, and the changes are not for the better. She hears noises all over the house that seem to follow her from room to room. Eventually, her parents and sibling can also hear weird noises. Loud, sexual-sounding moans can be heard by the whole family. Stacy becomes violent and is taken to a hospital. She flies into frequent rages even with the hospital staff. They do their best, but they're unable to really help her. While she's in the hospital, a search of her room was conducted, and it was found out that Stacy had books on conjuring and witchcraft, and it became apparent that she was also trying to do rituals. After reading and reciting spells, a black shape had made itself known in the house. The parents were desperate for help, and they asked the priest to come in, in to come in, along with the Warrens. And they go to the hospital room where she is still staying, and she reacts violently to a cross brought into her presence. Her eyes, blue in color, turn to amber and look like flames. Father Martins declares she needs an exorcism, and he performs it in the hospital room after he prepares. For two full days, he prays and fasts to become ready. The exorcism took place in the hospital room and was over an hour to perform. And then according to the Warrens, you wait. You hope it takes, but a lot of times... More than one exorcism has to take place. In the case of Stacy, it seemed to work right away. But after a few weeks, she became possessed again and was returned to the hospital and another exorcism was performed. Stacy's grown now and still displays periods where she is normal, totally herself. But she continues to suffer from what they call bouts of possession. Now the priest who performed the exorcism on Stacy returned to Africa, where he was originally from. Upon arriving in Africa, he went missing during a period of significant violence and was presumed to, to have been killed. His body has never been recovered. This next story shows even a benign ghost can be an unnerving experience. Sarah Hancock and her husband Johnny moved into Johnny's brother's house while their home was being built. The brother's family, him and his wife and three kids, slept upstairs. Sarah and Johnny slept in the basement. Shortly after we moved in, we started to notice some strange happenings, said Sarah. Johnny and I would be in the basement and hear what sounded like footsteps walking around upstairs when we were the only ones home. Once, during the middle of the night, she woke up and swore she heard someone jiggling the bedroom doorknob. Another night, while she and Johnny were getting ready for bed, after everyone else was asleep, the TV in the next room started blaring, but no one was there. When Sarah mentioned the activity to her sister-in-law, she didn't miss a beat. Yeah, she said, when Sarah suggested the place was haunted. I know. She mentioned that she, too, had heard footsteps when nobody was upstairs, as well as cabinets opening and closing. 
Once Sarah started asking questions, she learned that the people who had built the house had had a daughter who died there. Sarah's sister-in-law's parents, the home's previous owners, had also noticed strange things. Sarah and Johnny eventually moved out because their house was completed, but she says the creepy experiences with the ghost will stick with her. Today, they live in their unhaunted home, and Sarah works to gather reviews of all kinds of products and services for homeowners at bestcompany.com. The Ghost Who Loved Bacon Paul Ellen, who runs the micro distillery, Hope Springs Distillery, with his wife in Lilburn, Georgia, was careful to tell us that he usually isn't a believer in the whole haunting thing. Our household is basically crackpot free, he said. I'm a 40-year veteran engineer, and my wife is a recovering attorney. She's also a talented glass artist. And over the years, he said, we grew close to a fellow with 25 years as a nearby shop owner selling the raw materials for her glass work. In that time, Paul said, they often heard the shop owner discuss the spirits in his shop. They all had names, kept to specific areas, and were said to be friendly. I spoke to a couple of his employees, and they noted that, yes, there was someone there. While everyone at the shop more or less coexisted with these beings, they didn't like feeling as if someone was running fingers through their hair when nobody was around. Things might have continued indefinitely like this, if not for renovation plans. The old downtown area was about to be massively refurbished, Paul said. So the shop owner decided to shut it down and move. One afternoon, my wife and I visited for the last time. When she and the proprietor went into the office to handle some business, I stood in the middle of the empty shop and said aloud that it appeared the spirits were about to be homeless, and if they wanted, they could come stay with us. And he meant it as a joke. But when Paul and his wife got home, the strangeness began almost immediately. First, it was the smells. Cigar smoke, roses, and bacon cooking. House guests would ask, who'd been cooking bacon in the middle of the night? Things steadily worsened, including late-night screeching fits by the pet parrot. The cats refused to go into certain areas of the house, but then came the knife. I was cooking dinner when a large knife flew from beside the stove to the casing of the kitchen door, said Alan. I can professionally state that things that are thrown and released will follow a specific downward path, whereas this one went straight and horizontally. I measured the departure and landing points. It was clearly moved there, not thrown. The last straw for Ellen was seeing something floating up the stairs. Yes, I prayed, not out of fear, but desperation to be rid of this thing, he said. I reminded whatever it was that we were given dominion over this earth, and thus its time was up. Leave. It did, he reports. Seriously. The Smurls of West Pittston, Pennsylvania had inexplicable events occurring in their home, and they needed help. 
Jack and Janet Smurl heard of the Warrens on a talk show and seek them out for help. The Warrens found no signs of anything going on when they went to the house to investigate. Lorraine sensed nothing. The Smurls had remodeled their bedroom and found talon marks all over everything. Terrible odors filled the house and they could hear pounding on the walls. There were voices coming from empty rooms and the eldest child, Dawn, would see people floating around the ceiling of her bedroom. The Smurls have no clue how this started or why. Voices began to call for Janet. And the rooms were inexplicably cold, even on a hot summer day. Then they sighted a black caped man that went through the wall. And the haunting carried over to the mother-in-law's house, too. An unplugged television emitted a weird glow. A mirror was pulled from the wall and thrown by invisible hands. Somehow, priests refused to get involved, and the Warrens wanted to help. So they returned, and this time they documented occurrences in the house. A chandelier crashed down, near, nearly killing a family member, and all were terrified. Things got stolen. Keys would go missing, valuables were lost. And while showering one afternoon, Dawn was inappropriately sexually touched by an unseen presence. And twin daughters, younger than Dawn, were tripped and fell down a flight of stairs. Luckily, both were okay. And then Jack Smurl was raped by a succubus. Now, according to Ed Warren, a succubus is a demonic presence that appeared to Jack. It looked like a hag with scales and missing teeth. It forced itself on Jack and left a sticky, icky substance on his groin when it finished. The Warrens went to Father McKenna because they felt a full exorcism would be needed. Father McKenna holds an exorcism and the smell of roses is noticed in the kitchen. This is usually associated with the Virgin Mary. The Mass seemed to bring peace, but only a few short days later, things began to happen again. One of the first things that happened after the exorcism, earrings were levitated, and a smell of strong sewage occurred in the mother-in-law's house. Knocks started again, and the black figure was back. The Smurls tried to leave. They went camping, but it followed them. Janet appeared on a television talk show, and after that, things got much worse. Jack was repeatedly attacked by an unseen thing. He felt a feeling of deep burning as he was sodomized and sexually raped. The Smurls moved, but it found them. It followed them to their new home, and the activities continued to plague them wherever they went. The Warrens documented it as much as possible, and eventually they were able to submit reports to the church on the Smurls' behalf. Eventually, the Vatican approved a church-sanctioned exorcism, and they were finally freed of their torment.
Now, these are just some of the stories and cases mentioned in the book, The Ghost Hunters. If you are interested in hearing more, it's called The Ghost Hunters. It's by Ed and Lorraine Warren. And the book is available on Amazon as well as an, as an audiobook. That's all for today's podcast. I thank you for tuning in and I hope you liked the show. If you did, please tell a friend, give us a rating, and hit subscribe. If you have a story you would like to share on Petrifaction, you can contact me at pd at petrifaction at protonmail.com. And remember to check out today's show notes for more information on today's stories. Please return next time to hear more stories and friends be prepared to be petrified. <laughs>